This is Courage Cast. Faith, inspiration, and motivation for today. Well, hey everyone, this is Eric Nordoff, and you're listening to the Courage Cast. Today I have a special guest. It is the author, co-author of a book, a new book out in stores, in at Amazon, wherever you will find books. True Riches, What Jesus Really Said About Money and Your Heart. I talked to Gregory Baumer, and uh, he and John Cortinez uh, co-authored this book, you will learn a lot about where how they met and the origin story of this book and some of the other materials that they have. You'll learn a lot about the background, but most importantly, you will learn what Jesus really said about money. And it's been a topic that I've explored, and this book has been a reason I've re-explored it. I talk about my experience with Dave Ramsey and how good that was in building a foundation for me. And as I dove deeper, I found it more and more difficult to explain to my kids what Jesus said about giving. I know there's a lot in the Old Testament about giving laid out for us, but what Jesus talked about is, as always, he turns things over. He turns the tables over. And the same thing in this. It's all about your heart. Where is your heart when you are giving? There's so much about this that you will love, especially if you want to explore what Jesus said about giving. If you want to explore how you can handle your money and how you can hold your money and how you can give it away. And what what were the three things that Jesus said most about giving. It's pretty pretty uh, eye-opening, and it's new information for me. I think you'll love it. Here it is, my conversation with Gregory Baumer, the author of True Riches. Greg Baumer, welcome to the Courage Cast. Eric, thanks for having me today. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. This is going to be fun. Um, I've been reading your book, True Riches, which just came out just uh, a few days ago, June 4th, I think, right? Yes, that's right. We're so excited about the launch and I can't wait to see what God does with this project. So this is your second book that you've co-authored with your co-author, John Cortinez? Yeah, that's that's right. Tell me about the first book, God and Money. Yes, the, the first book uh, was the output of a transformational experience that John and I had while we were in graduate school. Mm-hmm. We uh, were students together in business school and had a chance to cross-register over into a class at the Divinity School, which was called God and Money. And uh, that actually became the name of the book, ultimately. And that course explored the intersection of faith and finance in our culture And for the final term paper for that course, we were able to write uh, a paper on how John and I would try to be wise stewards with the money that God blessed us with. Uh, And so we read the whole Bible front to back, everything it had to say about money, and also surveyed 200 alumni from our graduate program on their wealth and giving habits. And all of those alumni were Christian. We had sort of the email list from the uh, Christian fellowship there. So we used the combination of uh, what God's word had to say on the subject combined with what we saw these families doing to write a paper around 
what we would try to do with our own money one day. And through a crazy providential set of events, that term paper ended up becoming a book and in fact has transformed our lives. Wow. Now this was just not any business school, right? I mean, this is kind of the premier business school, Harvard, (laughs) Harvard business school. Yes. Yeah. We're very grateful to uh, have had the chance to study. There was a really uh, wonderful experience. Yeah, well, um, yeah, your smarty pants is what I want to call you guys. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. I think we were lucky we just were able to sneak in the back door. You know, sometimes yeah. they let uh, riffraff like us in. <laughs> uh, well, um, you had to be pretty qualified to get in. I, um, my son is, is 19, and, and his uh, best friend was valedictorian uh, for his class, and uh, he had a difficult time. He was really going for an Ivy League school. He finally got into uh, Cornell, and uh, and that's been a great experience for him. But uh, yeah, you fantastic. know how hard that is to get in. So congratulations on that, and congratulations on that book. That sounds amazing, and what a great opportunity for you to explore uh, and have the freedom to, to read the entire Bible, do 200 uh, interviews uh, with people. Um, you must have gained a lot. Now, Around here, it's Dave Ramsey country, right? Yes. yes. So I am not a Harvard Business School uh, level person, and I probably would have just read uh, Financial Peace or <laughs> or something like that. But you 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 went a lot different, uh, a lot deeper. So how is this book different than anything you might see coming out from this new book, True Riches? Uh, anything you might see kind of from the Ramsey organization? I hate to put you yeah. on the spot. Uh, we no, great him. question. And look, we, we uh, deeply respect Dave Ramsey and the ministry that he's built. I mean, you know, God has impacted millions of families through uh, Dave Ramsey's ministry, and we honor that, and, and he's done fantastic work. I would say uh, Ramsey's and Financial Peace University's, you know, real area of expertise is around personal finance and family financial planning in a wise way with sort of a Christian lens on it. And that's fantastic. And so for, you know, millions of families uh, attaining wisdom about how to responsibly save and spend and think about retirement and use credit cards, that's fantastic. Our books uh, really dive deep into the part of personal finance that is related to generosity. That's, that's our focus. And Ramsey speaks to that, but it's not his core. So that's the core differentiator. I, I would like to say we supplement and go deeper in that one pillar of Ramsey's broader set of instruction on financial planning. So um, both of our books really seek to uh, convey the joy that God offers to those who choose to live generously uh, in accordance with his calling and instruction to us. Mm-hmm. And I would say if you were to synthesize uh, the book down into just a few sentences. What I, what I would say is everything we have belongs to God. And I think any Christian would agree with that if you asked them, but how many of us live that way? I certainly was not before God transformed my life through this process. Um, if that's true, then everything ought to be used for his purposes. And that includes providing for our families as we read in first Timothy five, but then anything above and beyond that can be given back into his kingdom. And so with that realization, John and I, my co-author, realized that we'd actually been asking the wrong question this whole time. We'd been asking, how much should I give, right? Like, give me the formula. Is it 10%? If I give 12%, is that like extra credit? 
Um, and I think what the Bible teaches and what we saw these families living out is the right question is actually, how much do I need to keep? If everything is God's and is to be used for his purposes, and he provides amply for my family, then anything above and beyond that can be poured back into his kingdom. And here's the kicker. When we live that way in accord with God's plan, we experience incredible joy and richness of life. Mm. Wow. I like that. How much do I need to keep? How much do I need to keep? I'm just kind of dwelling on that for a bit. Because it is true. We do try to justify our... uh, desires for wanting more. Um, and, and we, but we still want to, we still want to go to heaven, right? We still want to have a good, a, a pretty good relationship with God. But then we wonder when we ask the question, how much do I need to give in order to kind of feel good about myself? Right. You're, you're twisting that around to God, how much do I need to keep? I am surrendered to you. You, I'm your, I'm your servant and I'm called to steward your resources. Uh, and, um, so how much, how much do you want me to keep? And then how much do you want me to give away? Yes. Very well said. Exactly. And I, and I think the key is when we try to toe this line of giving sort of like the minimum amount necessary to make sure God's happy and to placate him, we're selling ourselves short. You know, I think a key realization here is that God doesn't need our money, right? He's sovereign and he'll accomplish his purposes no matter what I do. Like, mm-hmm. you know, revelation becoming true is not contingent on Greg Bomber's tithe, right? You know, <laughs> our God is like so much bigger than that. Um, so then you ask yourself, okay, if God doesn't need our money, why do we give? And I think a proper understanding of that uh, is key to, um, you know, really living in the way that God wants us to live. And, and so what I would say, why do we give? One is because God himself is the ultimate giver. God so loved the world that he gave and so many other verses, you know, display that God himself is a giver. Two is that in many areas of our lives, we're called to express back to God, his character. That's true for many areas of life. Like think about um, many different character traits that God exhibits and he calls us to exhibit back. Well, one of those is generosity. So that's another reason that we give uh, is to express his character back to him. And then I think the third and final reason why God calls us to give uh, is because for some reason, and we don't really know why, he has elected to delegate some of his work to us here on earth. And generosity is one of many ways, in addition to service and love and kindness and many others, that we are able to contribute to the formation of God's kingdom here on earth. Mm-hmm. And so when we give out of an understanding of those three reasons, that God is a giver, that we express his character back to him and that we contribute to building his kingdom. We experience such great joy. Uh, and like I said before, richness of life. So I want to explore a little bit this concept. Maybe it's a squirrel. Maybe it's a, uh, you know, we're kind of going down a rabbit trail, but I want to explore this, the kingdom of God and, and how do we, how do we uh, give into his kingdom, or I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, what, what is the kingdom work that we are called to do and get and give into financially? Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's primarily building larger auditoriums at mega churches. Totally kidding. Totally kidding. And that's better also sound a, system. 
Yeah, right. And and that, that is, by the way, completely not a knock on on mega churches uh, by any means. Um, John Chris would think that's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's just a total. Um, but so, look here. Here's my perspective on how we can give uh, uh, to to God's kingdom in an effective way. Um, as with all things, I try to filter it through Scripture. You know, what does God tell us about this? And so, if you read the Old Testament and the New Testament. I would assert that there are three main categories that we see uh, people in the Bible give to, and we see Jesus call us to give to. Um, One is creating new Christians, i.e. evangelism. Mm -hmm. We see that in like 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, for example. Um, Two is we see uh, discipling and growing current Christians, right? So there's, um, we see verses in the New Testament around the importance of supporting uh, ministry, people who are in full-time vocational ministry. Uh, and three, and this is the one where I think the American church, if I may say so, gets wrong the most, is supporting the poor. There are hundreds, literally hundreds of direct commands in scripture uh, to support the poor. Mm-hmm. And there's also promises to Christians of what God will do when we obediently follow that instruction to support mm-hmm. the poor. My favorite comes from Isaiah 53, um, which is a whole passage around supporting the poor and disenfranchised. And at the end, it says, basically, you know, sort of culminates, it says, when I do all this stuff from the verses above, um, the glory of the Lord will be my rear guard. And I think that's just such beautiful language to express that truly the glory of the Lord becomes ours when we are supporting the poor financially and other ways too, right? With service mm-hmm. and love and kindness. Um, and so uh, it's really those three categories, uh, evangelism, discipleship, and service to the poor that I think are the three broad themes that our giving should fall into. Where does the 10% tithe fall into giving to the church? Yeah, great question. Um, this is a very simple answer. To, just kidding. Obviously, it's, <laughs> uh, so, I only ask easy questions, yeah, softball exactly. questions. Um, so, you know, on the question of the tithe, uh, I will tell you my point of view, but I'll start with the survey results from a big survey that a Christian ministry ran on this very topic uh, a couple of years ago. And they surveyed hundreds of um, major church pastors, ministry leaders even like the leaders of major Christian denominations, as well as seminary professors. So a wide, wide swath of wise Christians um, on whether new covenant believers are still called to the 10% tithe. And the uh, survey results came back that 55% uh, did not think so. And 45% did. So it's basically 50, 50, right? And so uh-huh. right. I think what that tells us is that, um, it's not, you know, super clear, like even smart Christians who love Jesus don't agree on whether new covenant believers are still called to the tithe. I will tell you that my point of view is that new covenant believers are not strictly called to the 10% tithe. And I'll give a few reasons for that. Um, one is if you actually read the old Testament, there were three different tithes that they were mm-hmm. called to for different purposes. Mm-hmm. Two of the tithes they paid every year. And one of the tithes they paid every three years. So if you average it over a three year period is actually 23% giving mm-hmm. uh, per year. And I don't hear any churches saying that. Mm-hmm. So in, mm-hmm. in my view, like if you're going to anchor to the old Testament tithe, you have to have, like actually anchor to it, not just right. the part of it that you like. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then second, I would say, just like that famous passage in scripture where, you know, Jesus says that if you even 
think harm to a brother, you have murdered him. And if you even think lustfully about another man's wife, you've committed adultery. Um, there's, there's not a corresponding like direct statement in scripture about giving. So I'm not trying to say there is, but I think you can extrapolate the lesson that Jesus did not come to lower the bar. He came to raise the bar. Mm-hmm. And so I think the way that um, new covenant believers should think about giving in the true life that we've been given uh, through Jesus Christ uh, is to be as generous as we can be in glory to God. Uh, is, mm-hmm. is the way to think about it. And so there's not like a specific formula we need to adhere to, but uh, I would say 10% is a great place to start, but a, a poor place to finish, to quote Randy Alcorn. Mm, mm, that's really good. Really challenging. Uh, really challenging. Uh, it, it, so there's not a definitive number that that we're called to, and, and that's the beauty of the freedom of living in Christ and being under this new covenant. Um, but uh, I am challenged by what by what the book is saying, what you're saying in the book, what you're pointing out in Scripture, that um, to 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 be okay with um, having less, to simplifying uh, the things in my life. In some ways, this is sort of a minimalist. You could be a minimalist and really enjoy this book, a Christian and a minimalist. What do you think about that? Is that is that a crazy thought? Yeah, that's, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, uh, honestly, that's not how we think about it, if okay. I'm being totally honest. So I, I would actually like reject this notion of sort of, you know, falsely pious Christian frugality that's out there. Like mm-hmm. I just don't see in scripture a defense for asceticism would be like the technical term for what you're describing, like yeah. minimalist living. I think if you want to live that way, that's totally your prerogative. I totally reject that it's a command in scripture. Right. Um, and, and you can see throughout scripture that there were many wealthy people. And the question was not get rid of all your money other than the rich young ruler. That's the right. one case in scripture where God um, called Jesus in this instance, called a person to give away all that he owned. But the reason there was because he was idolizing his possessions and was not able to experience fullness of life in Christ without giving those things up. I mean, just a few chapters later, uh, Zacchaeus gives away half his possessions in repentance to Christ. And Christ says, today, um, salvation has come to this house. Right. Right? So you definitely can't make the case that like you have to give away everything extra to be a Christian. Right. Um, and you also see in Timothy, Paul explicitly teaches Timothy how to minister to the rich in the church. Mm. Um, also, in uh, Jesus says, like, there will always be poor in this land. Well, what's poor mean if there's not rich relatively, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, in my view, it's not a sin to be rich. It's a sin to be rich and not use that wealth to honor God. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the way that John and I think about it is... Uh, through this concept of financial finish lines, which are caps on how much we'll spend in one year and save in total. And to be really clear, we don't say that that's a command in scripture. It's not. But for us, it's the best practice way to live out what we do see in scripture. And the way that each family sets that limit on themselves uh, is not a contest to see who can spend less, but actually um, it's an interaction between you and God to live into what he's called you to. And I can talk into more specific. Yeah, I was, yeah, that was my next follow-up question was, how, how do you do that? Because um, I've just finished um, 
you know, what I love about the book here and, and then I'll, let's get to the, the answer of that is um, I like how you lay it out. Um, you're really dealing with the, the main questions, um, pride, covetousness, anxiety, and indifference. Uh, and you're, um, you have an answer through scripture, through what Jesus is saying to us and what he really said about money and our heart. Um, so I got through anxiety to trust, save modestly. And uh, there's some great applications in the book. So, you, you know, I was, I totaled up my savings, totaled up my debts. It's a real different way. Like uh, uh, first, of course, I'm thinking, oh, you know, I've learned this through my time in Financial Peace University, but it really is, you're right. It is um, a focus on generosity because I'm, I'm realizing how much my debt and my savings, um, how much of a role they play in our overall um, state of living. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just kind of getting me to look at my finances and, and our house that we have here and, and all the things that we have. And I'm just kind of wondering, how, how, do you, how do you live this out a little bit better? I guess I want a little more instructions now on how to be a more generous uh, live more generously. Yeah, that's great. So I think start from the premise that um, using our finances in the way that God has called us instead of what, you know, sort of American financial wisdom would say will actually result in more happiness for you. Mm-hmm. So like, that's the first premise. So then you say, how do I do that? <clears throat> what John and I did is we really studied, um, you know, how do you think about how much do I need to keep? Mm. And where we landed uh, is, you know, there's obviously not like one number that every family should adhere to. I mean, a family of six in New York City is going to have a higher cost of living than a family of two in Arkansas, right? right so right. it's not about the specific number. Um, the thesis is let's try not to seep into luxury simply for luxury's sake. That doesn't mean you never enjoy luxury, right? There are times to enjoy luxury. For my 10-year anniversary, I bought a nice gift for my wife because I love her. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's a chance to enjoy the beauty of God's creation in the form of luxury at times. And in other times, hold back because we'd actually rather give that money away for God's glory and for our joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, what John and I settled on ultimately was a, an annual sort of spending cap of $100,000 for our families, mm-hmm. which is by no means like a you know, poor lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. To be clear, but it, mm-hmm. but it does mean that anything above and beyond that will pour back into God's kingdom. Mm. Different families will have different numbers based on their number of uh, family members, your, location. Does that, in, does that include your investments? No, saving is incremental. Okay. So yes. on top of the 100000 it's saving is incremental. Yeah. Got yeah, it. exactly. But mm. even with the thought of saving, it's, it's you know, the thought is, you, you just mentioned this sort of save modestly. Uh, I think a lot of, you know, common American financial wisdom and even within Christian circles, they'll sort of just take common American financial wisdom and sort of put like a Christian halo on it, right? It's sort of like, uh, save as much as you can, make sure you give 10% and anything else you earn is like up to you to spend, mm-hmm. right? Sort of like Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And I think what we would say is like, constrain your spending, constrain your saving even. It's not a race to hit your nest egg as early as possible. Right. Still save, right? We read in Proverbs that it's wise to save. So for sure, still save, but don't withhold from God. Mm-hmm. That's the key, right? It's like mm-hmm. generosity should be a core, cor- should be a cornerstone of your financial strategy 
um, not out of duty or obligation, but out of living a more full life. Mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, and so tactically, what that looks like for us is, you know, we've set a spending limit for ourselves. Different families will have different numbers. And as long as you wrestle that down with God, no matter if your number is 50,000, 100,000, a million, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> the point is to wrestle that down with God and the Holy Spirit uh, in the council of, of, of wise Christian friends and say, you know, God has blessed me with this much. I'll use this much to support my family and anything else I'll pour back to him. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's that's fantastic, um, and it it does bring a, a certain level of freedom and uh, peace, and that's ultimately you're you're looking for. And correct me if I'm wrong. You're you're really looking for peace in relationship with God and and fulfillment in your relationship with Him, right? Yeah, you got it. I mean, I think the question you know the question that our that our second book, True Riches, poses is how are your finances impacting your heart? Got it. And, and so that, that's the question is like, are we succumbing to materialism, which is so common in mm-hmm. our culture? Are we succumbing to selfishness? Uh, are we uh, idolizing money or the, are we idolizing the image that money allows us to convey to others? Or mm-hmm. are we using these resources for God's glory and our joy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know John runs uh, or is the COO of uh, Generous Giving, the organization, uh, Christian nonprofit, right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. He's an amazing leader of an amazing organization. Yeah. Um, I had a friend of mine that that worked with them uh, for quite a while and he, he loved it. It was great because um, he got to talk to a lot of uh, quote unquote rich people mm-hmm. who didn't know what to do with their money and wanted to serve serve God with it better. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And I think for, you know, for any um, listener who is blessed with much, uh, you know, obviously it's a tremendous blessing from God to be blessed with affluence, but we also see all through scripture, the risk that affluence brings into our lives spiritually. And it actually is really difficult for people who are blessed with much to steward that wisely for God's glory. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think they shouldn't feel guilty about that and should instead see it as an opportunity to um, grow closer to God and, and to, to, to wisely steward that for his glory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that the book really brings up a lot has brought up a lot. My wife and I are in the middle of deciding, uh, about upgrading our, our current house that we're in. Uh, do we, do we continue to steward it? Well, it's provided a lot for us. We have a, a, a great place, for her to write songs and meet people and to give back to community and all of that. Um, but then there's the, the question of, gosh, I, you know, it's, it's quite a bit, it's quite a load on us mm-hmm. as well, you know, to, to have, to live where we live and what would it be like if we, if we didn't, and it's really just a matter of this, you don't, you're not going to give me the answer <laughs> really. Um, but you do get me thinking in this book um, and and get me moving closer to my heavenly father for the answer. Yeah. That's Uh, great. I think that's what anyone um, who is seeking God wants is some tools and some, some practical uh, and some spiritual ways to interact with God and money. Talk about that topic. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I think 
You know, the other thing I would say, by the way, for those who are wrestling with a big purchase decision, like what you just mentioned around a house, for example, is for some reason, money is like the big taboo in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll go into small groups with each other and confess like really personal sins in very personal areas, but we will never talk about money, <laughs> which makes no sense given how much Jesus talked about it. So, you know, again, for any listeners who are thinking about a big purchase decision or what to do with an inheritance or how to think about uh, you know, whether to buy that new car or whatever, why not bring those questions up to your spiritual mentors, to your small group? Why do we not think about money uh, in the same way that we think about, you know, getting wisdom from other Christians in other areas of our lives? So I would just right. encourage us to, you know, bring those things to a trusted group of, uh, you know, other Christians who we respect and can trust. Yeah. So I have a I have a friend who um who he gives away 50% of everything he makes. He lives in a relatively small house that's good enough for what he needs and he seems to be pretty content and happy. Uh and I think that um that's something you recommend uh you recommend moving towards that. Um and specifically I think you you give a formula for in terms of your house uh, what, what is that formula for, you know, how much of a house do you really need or, or should, should sort of use as a guideline? Yeah. Great question. I think, um, the house decision is in many ways, the most difficult stewardship decision, because it's obviously the biggest purchase that most families ever make the, uh, you know, our culture. And if you go to like an online mortgage calculator or whatever, it will tell you that you can afford way more house than we view as responsible. And that's for two reasons. One is it presumes income growth into the future that in my view is somewhat presumptive and risky. And then two, and more importantly, it presumes that you're not a giver. Mm -hmm. And as followers of Christ, we should all be givers to different extents, right? People will be giving at different rates at different points in their life, but that's not accounted for in those calculators. So for that reason, John and I advocate that your house mortgage, right? So, you know, you might put a down payment on in excess of this, but the mortgage should not be more than two times your annual income. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason that we have that relatively conservative view is to ensure that you're thinking about your ability to be generous, which comes first before the size of your house. Mm-hmm. Now, let me say, anytime you just throw a formula out there, uh, you have to make sure that you're not squeezing out the Holy Spirit from the Mm -hmm. consideration. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's our recommendation as a starting point that you should then pray through, talk through with your spouse and engage wise Christian advisors in helping you think through. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's notorious. The world sees Christians um, and specifically some of these preachers in recent, uh, I'm sure you've probably seen some of the, the recent YouTube videos and interviews with some preachers that were kind of caught um, talking about the three planes that they have and, you know, needing to, needing to fly private. And uh, uh, we don't need to mention any names, but what are your thoughts on, on, uh, on those, um, those things that you see? What is, what what would be your perspective and kind of your, your, uh, your thought on that? I think there's two key lessons that you can extrapolate from that. One is the vacuousness of the prosperity gospel. You know, so John and I just like wholly reject the prosperity gospel theology. It's just like indefensible in scripture in our view. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, God does not say that if we're faithful, he'll pour out financial resources on us. Mm-hmm. He does pour out financial resources on some Christians and on non-Christians, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and there's other very faithful Christians who suffer significantly financially their whole life. Um, so I think, you know, you can, you can pull out from that the vacuousness of the prosperity gospel. The second thing that you can pull from it is, um, you know, I don't know any of those pastors, but I would estimate that at the beginning of not all, but many of their ministries, they were genuine hearted, right? And they truly wanted to honor God and to teach other people about Jesus. That's probably not true. There's probably some shysters in there, but, you know, generally, I bet a lot of them started from a good place. It shows the power of money to corrupt our hearts. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but the human heart is particularly prone to the trappings of wealth. And we can see that in many places in our culture beyond these you know, corrupt preachers. Uh, and so I think it should be a cautionary tale for all of us that you know, when you come back to the question of how are my finances impacting my heart, it's probably more than you think. And you're probably only one step away from acting just like those guys do. Yeah. So, you know, it's, we got to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's just more pride uh, when we're comparing ourselves with other people and, and we could just as easily fall into that. Totally. And that's why, yeah. And, and that's why we, we need, we need to surrender to Jesus and, uh, and, and trust him with, uh, with our resources and, um, and there's there's much joy in that. So, well, Greg, I have really enjoyed this conversation. The book is True Riches: What Jesus Really Said About Money and Your Heart. Um, just, uh, I wish nothing but the best for you and John. And I hope you uh, continue to write more books. What's uh, What's next for you in the in the in the upcoming year? What are you guys working on? Um, just in terms of your ministry and and how you're kind of working with others. Yeah. Um, thanks for asking. So, uh, John and I, um, you know, we're open-handed to see what God has to do, uh, with this project and, you know, our hope is to honor him and to allow as many people as possible to experience the fullness of a life lived generously. Um, so what we're doing is we're speaking at conferences, at churches, um, at ministry events, we're doing, um, you know, things like this, uh, and, you know, we're trying to just have a lot of fun meeting other generous Christians and uh, experiencing uh, the joy that, that they have in, in their lives. So that's kind of our focus for the next year is hitting the road and uh, hoping that, uh, you know, people can embrace this message for God's glory. Absolutely. Greg, uh, thank you so much for spending time with me. Um, and uh, I wish you nothing but the best. We'll have a link to the book and, uh, and any other resources that you have available uh, on our website. Thanks, Eric. This was a ton of fun. Really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely.